Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. It's the start of a new year, and we have a lot of great things coming up, including the 2023 launch of our small group. So make sure you're here on Sunday mornings and following us on Facebook and Instagram at My Collective Church to stay connected. We really want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Growing up, I only ever attended one church. I started going there when I was in middle school, and until the time I left for college, that was my entire church experience. And because of that, I didn't know a lot about like the church as a whole, and I honestly thought that most churches were just like the church that I grew up in. I thought all their preaching was the same, that they worshiped the same way, that they served the community the same way that our church did. I was very, very naive. On one of the first weekends, I was in Johnson City, Tennessee for college. I found myself heading to one of the bigger churches in the area, expecting it to be just like my home church, just with a few more howdies and y'alls, because it was Tennessee. And so imagine my surprise when worship starts and there's a group of people standing in a line to sing, and then someone just starts playing the piano. I was very confused uh, and feeling a little bit off. It got worse when the music started and everyone stood up and started to sing, but there were no words on a screen because they didn't have a screen. And so I began to look around to try to figure out what was going on. I see a bunch of people holding something in their hands. And so immediately I assume it's a Bible. And so I grabbed my Bible and I start going through there as quickly as I can to try to figure out how are they singing songs from the Bible. It was not the Bible. It was another book. It was a hymnal. Now, I had never seen a hymnal before. I didn't know that these things existed. I had no idea why a guy was shouting out numbers before the songs so people could sing. And so I just stood there and waited uncomfortably until worship was over. Over the next four years while I was in college, I struggled to find a church home that I could connect with. And so I ended up visiting a ton of different churches, and almost every single one of them did worship differently. I went to churches that were led by a choir. Uh, There was a church we went to for a little while that was a cappella, which is just your voices. It's not great. Uh, People people can't sing. I'm sorry. Um, You know, churches that had just an organ. I went to a church once that just did it like sing-along style by pushing play on a CD. Uh, One time, my wife and I went to a church that did church in the round, which was the whole room was like in a circle and the band was in the middle. And so while they were playing, they were like doing this. And I was like, that's definitely not it. We went to churches that did a few songs and some churches that did worship for over 30 minutes where they essentially just repeated the same chorus over and over and over and over again. And more than anything, this taught me that worship is really complicated. And because of that, and because it can be so different from church to church, we have a tendency in our own lives to view worship as just something we do in church, not a spiritual habit. So today we're continuing our habit series, and we're going to dig into this topic of worship. And when we think about worship, we typically think about music, and that makes sense. Um, but worship isn't just the songs we sing on Sunday. The word worship comes from the old English word worship, which means something that is worthy of praise. And so worship is anything we do to praise God. And we praise God because he is worthy. Right? He's worthy because of what he has done, because of who he is, because of what he's doing. Romans 12.1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul, who wrote this, what he's saying is that our life should always be worship. We should be living our life in a way that worship God, that shows people that we believe God is worthy of how we live and how we think and how we act. And so when we read our Bible, we are worshiping him because we believe that God is worthy of our time and our souls. When we trust God with our money, it's worship because we believe that God is worthy of our trust and the resources that he's blessed us with. When we take communion, we're worshiping because we believe that God is worthy of our thankfulness and our remembrance. When we serve others, we are worshiping because we believe that God is worthy of our talents and our time and our abilities. And so worship as a whole comes in many different forms. But for today, I am going to zero in on how we worship through music and the importance of this specific discipline being a habit in our lives. Worship is talked about a ton in the Bible. In Psalm 9, 1 and 2, it says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 150, 1 through 6 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. We definitely do that at Collective. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. In the New Testament, Hebrews 12 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And 2 Corinthians 1 and 3 says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. In the Old Testament, we read that the people of God worship regularly in the tabernacle. The book of Psalms, we just read a little bit of, that book is full of songs of praise and songs of lament, songs of joy and songs of sorrow. When the Virgin Mary finds out that she's pregnant and she's gonna give birth to Jesus, what does she do? She sings, she sings a song of praise to God. In Matthew 26, Jesus sings a hymn with his disciples. Then he heads to the Mount of Olives where he spends his final few moments with them before he's betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the New Testament, the church worshiped in homes and in synagogues. Paul and Silas worshiped while they were in prison. Heaven is described as a place of worship. Scripture teaches us that worship is good, that we sing when we are joyful, that we sing when we are thankful, and we sing when we don't know what else to do. And this act of worship will build us up. This worship brings us closer together. It grows our faith in God. Worship is a huge part of following Jesus. But let's be honest, worship is kind of weird, right? I mean, think about it. The closest comparison to worship in the church would be going to a concert. One of my favorite bands of all time is a band called Johnny Swim. And Ray and I have been to a bunch of their shows and they are absolutely incredible. They put on the best concert I've ever seen. In fact, they create this culture in their concerts that are very interactive with the people who are there. It's a shared experience. But even with that being true, most of the people sit. Most of them just listen. Maybe a few of them sing. People will be scrolling on their phones. They'll be talking to the person next to them. They'll be getting up and going to get food and going to get drinks. But worship is different. 
it is unlike other musical experiences. We have concerts are about the performers. It's all about them. Worship isn't about the band. It's about God. When you're at a show and you applaud to let the musicians know they did a good job, really what you're saying is, hey, thank you for me paying you to entertain me for a few hours. But in worship, when there's cheers and there's clapping, it's about God. It's us praising him for how good he is. And so there really isn't anything outside of the church that compares to worship. And because of that, it can feel a little weird. And it takes us a little bit of time to feel fully comfortable with it. For example, how many of you ever thought during worship, what the heck do I do with my hands, right? A few years ago, comedian, uh, Christian comedian Tim Hawkins put this chart out for us. Uh, so Christians, specifically it was titled non-denominational worship in a church. Um, and, and what's funny is he's kind of making fun of it, but like some of you have thought about these things before. You're like, is this good? Is this good? Do I go here? Do I go here? I think, I know. The one that makes me the most uncomfortable, though, is dueling light bulbs. I don't know. I don't know. That's just a bit, that's a bit much, right? But he puts this together because he talks about, hey, like, what do we do? Like, well, like, what do we do? And while we're doing these things, we do feel like we're celebrating a touchdown or like Mufasa. <laughs> but, but here's the thing when it comes to worship. How you engage in worship is really up to you. You can stand or you can sit. You can sing or you can just listen. You can close your eyes or you can keep them open. Or you can raise your hands. You can leave them by your side. You can hold a baby and you can celebrate a touchdown. <laughs> what matters, though, is that you are worshiping. Right? That's what matters. Because God created worship to bring healing and hope into our lives. God created worship so that we're reminded that he is with us and he'll never leave us. God created worship so that we can celebrate comfort and joy and be reminded that his kingdom is unshakable. Right? In the shaky world we live in, worship allows us to know that, hey, this world is rough, but Jesus' kingdom is not. Here's what's cool about music and worship. There isn't just a spiritual benefit. Check this out. Scientists have found that music stimulates more parts of the brain than any other function, and that music supports our physical, mental, and emotional health. Like Music is good for us. Music helps us re with regulating our emotions, improving our mood, and enhancing productivity and concentration. Music can also help us sleep better. In 2011, a study by researchers from McGill University found that listening to music increases the amount of dopamine produced in our brains. Dopamine is a mood-enhancing chemical that helps us fight depression. Music literally helps us fight depression. Just listening to worship music will make us happier and will make us healthier. On the other side of this, though, there are studies that show that the wrong kind of music can negatively impact our mood long-term. Certain songs and lyrics and genres are more likely to intensify depression and anxiety, sometimes as much or more than outside circumstances that we're experiencing. And so what scientists have found is that the music we listen to, the music we bring into our lives, can decrease depression or increase depression. It can decrease anxiety or increase anxiety. In other words, the music that we listen to matters. Let's take this a step further, though, and not just talk about listening to worship, but engaging in it. Ethnomusicologist Nathan Merrick found that when we worship, our brains and our bodies become coupled to each other. They have found that our brains and our hearts actually sync up. Our hearts will begin to beat at the same rhythm as the people who are all around us. Scientists have also found that worshiping together evokes a neural activation in key emotional areas of our brain, such as the amygdala, the insula, and the caudate nucleus. 
These experiences create a surge of endorphins and this releases oxytocin, resulting in a heightened sense of fellow feeling, a deepening of social bonds, a loss of self-protective boundaries, walls that we put up, and an increased sense of feeling felt by another, which is to say, worship music, when we sing together, increases our empathy, increases our connection to other people. So let me sum this up. Worship spiritually, mentally, and emotionally bonds us together. This is why worship feels so emotional. This is why you feel the feelings that you do. And there are times when you are just listening and you feel that in your heart and you feel those goosebumps. What you're feeling is not just yourself. You're feeling the people around you. I remember when we opened this building for the first time after COVID, we had spent 52 weeks of being online. Uh, And so we were worshiping in our homes. We were worshiping uh, while watching screens. And the moment the band started playing, I just wept something I'd been missing for over a year. I didn't know that it was missing. I knew like mentally it was missing, but spiritually and emotionally, I didn't really know what I was missing. And I felt this weight lift off my shoulders and it wasn't because the burdens I was carrying magically disappeared because we could be here. It was that feeling that we weren't alone anymore. It was that feeling that God had brought us through this terrible season of our lives. It was this whole room of people feeling joy and relief and excitement together. It was a shared feeling. And so when we worship and we sing with other people, it hits us right in the feels because that is the way God designed it. And a lot of what we are feeling are our own emotions, but it's also empathy. Because as we praise God for how good he is and how we've seen him in our life, we're also praising him for how good he is in the lives of the people around us. When we sing about God bringing dead things back to life, we're singing about how he's done that in our marriages, in our mental health, in our own souls. But what we're also singing about and feeling is how, that is how that is true in the lives of other people in this church. And we feel that. Like we physically feel that. We feel the joy and the hope and the sorrow and the pain of the people all around us when we worship together. But this is also why some people struggle with worship because it is very vulnerable. Some of you have put up walls during worship and you will say it's because you can't sing or you don't know what to do with your hands or you don't know the words but really it's because you don't want to be vulnerable around other people. And so what you are doing is you are actively fighting against what your brain and your heart and your soul are designed to do in worship because you are afraid. You are afraid to sing because you're worried that the people around you can hear you. You are afraid to lift your hands and close your eyes because it puts you in an unsafe position around people that you don't really know. You're afraid to feel the emotions that the words and the songs bring because that means you have to acknowledge that something's going on in your life that you might be struggling with some things or God might be bringing you through some things that you're not really ready for people to know about. You're afraid to feel the emotions that the words and the songs bring and acknowledge that, hey, I need this in my life right now. A lot of the reasons we struggle to worship are because we are nervous or scared about the emotions that come with it. This is why at Collective, we try to make sure this auditorium is the best environment possible for worship. That is why this space is loud and dark. It is loud in here because we don't want you to have to worry about the person next to you hearing you sing. I'm being very serious. I suck at singing, okay? I'm terrible at it. I was in choir in middle school. Don't know why I did that. Awful. But if I think that people around me can hear how bad I am at singing, I am too insecure as a person to keep worshiping. And that sucks, right? That takes me out of something really special. And so we make sure the volume is at a level where you can sing and not worry about the person next to you. It is dark in here because we don't want you to have to worry about people seeing you feel the emotions that you will feel during worship. 
Right? We do this very intentionally so that you can be worshiped and so that you can be real, so that you can be vulnerable, so that you can feel comfortable singing and closing your eyes and lifting your hands and feeling all the emotions that worshiping God creates. And so we worship God because he is worthy of our praise, but we also do this because it is good for us. It is good for our souls, and it's good for our church. It bonds us together. Now, I'm sure some of you are wondering, though, why do we do worship in the style that we do it at Collective? And there are a lot of things that shape our worship culture and the songs that we sing, but nothing more than what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a book of the Bible. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And it's very clear that this church is struggling with their worship service. They're having issues in worship. And Paul spends a really large chunk of this book trying to teach them what the worship, worship services should look like. And he talks about two specific things that are happening in this church uh, during their services. The first is something called speaking in tongues. The second is something called prophecy. Now, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift of speaking other languages. The word tongues in the Greek is the word glossa, which is where we get the word language from. So it simply means they're speaking another language. Now, some people do believe this is kind of like made up Holy Spirit kind of language. Other people say it's a reference to other spoken known languages. I am in the camp that it's other known spoken languages based on context and translation. If you read the Bible, that's the direction you'll end up going with if you read about this topic. The word prophecy simply means to proclaim Jesus. It's this idea of saying out loud that God is good and here's what he's doing in my life. A little bit later, we're gonna celebrate a baptism. And every time someone gets baptized in this church, they do something called the profession of faith. It's this idea that we say out loud, we proclaim that Jesus is the leader and savior of my life. And so Paul addresses this church in Corinth because they're having all these issues with these two things and it's impacting their ability to worship together. And then he says this, starting in verse 23. He says, Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. <laughs> but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they'll fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. And so Paul tells them that everything that is done in their worship services must be understood by everyone. What he's saying is that if non-Christians are present, those people should be able to worship Christ in a way that is distraction-free, that is not stopped. And he specifically tells them if they're speaking in tongues, that pulls non-Christians away from Christ, and that should not be done. And so let me sum this up as bluntly as I can. When we choose the worship that we choose at Collective, we are picking it for the least faithful person in here so that they can connect. So the person who has never experienced the goodness of God can feel something and so that they can bump into Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna say this as directly as I can. It's gonna hurt some feelings. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not the most important person in this room when it comes to worship. And that is tricky, isn't it? Churches have split over worship. You guys have left churches over worship. And Paul makes it very, very clear. It is not about you if you follow Jesus. It's about people who don't know Jesus and us getting out of their way to experience what he can do in their lives. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be mature enough to worship fully anywhere you go. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about how good God is and us praising him. 
And I know that it's going to make a lot of you uncomfortable, and that's okay. Uh, if you grew up in a denomination that's Pentecostal in its roots, this is going to be pushing on you a little bit. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul makes it incredibly clear to the church in Corinth and to us if that there are people worshiping in this space who don't know who Jesus is, they should be able to fully worship as well. That nothing we do in this room should distract them from experiencing just how good he is. And so this is why we do worship at Collective the way that we do it. This isn't the only way to do worship. It's not. It's my favorite, right? I'm biased. But this isn't the only way, and there are other ways to worship that are really, really good. But in light of our culture and our vision as a church, we try to create worship experiences that impact every single person that is here on a Sunday morning. And so we choose songs that non-Christians can connect with. We choose songs that aren't overly churchy, with churchy phrases and words that people won't understand. There are some really great worship songs out there that we probably will never play because my friends who don't know Jesus would show up here and they would disconnect from what is going on because they would have no idea what those words mean. We choose songs that are doctrinally sound. This means the lyrics have to match what is true in the Bible. No matter how great the song is, it has to be in line with God's word. We choose songs that are singable. Specifically, we choose songs that we think men will sing. Seriously, and I'll explain why. Studies show that if both mom and dad go to church, 33% of the kids will have faith and be connected to church as adults. If only the mom goes to church, only 2% of kids will have faith and be connected as an adult. Dad, your worship matters. The souls of your children matter based on your ability to be here and lean in. And so we choose songs that we think men can connect with because we want to take away as many excuses as possible for men not to be here. Because what they're raising over there in Collective Kids is way too important. So that's why we choose those songs. We also choose songs that speak to the realness of life, the good and the bad. Two verses I share more than most are John 10, 10, which says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And the other one's John 16, it says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We want to sing songs that capture the fullness of verses like these. Right? We want to sing about how Jesus can overcome the world, but we don't want to ignore the trials and sorrows as well. Worship is an escape. Worship is a breath of fresh air, but worship is a reminder that when life is hard, God is good. And when life is good, God is good. And so we choose songs that lean into the reality of both of these truths. We don't just pick songs that are like all rainbows and butterflies. Everything's great. Ignore the world outside. We also don't choose songs that are like, we are the worst. We're awful, terrible people, total depravity stuff. We choose songs that praise God in the highs and the lows, in the good and the bad, in the hard weeks and in the great weeks. So in light of talking about habits, let me give you two practical applications when it comes to worship that you can put into your life this week. The first is to make Sunday morning worship a priority. Worship was created so that we could do it together. It is an opportunity for us to grow and bond and heal as a church. It's an opportunity for us every single Sunday to experience life-giving community. It's an opportunity to praise God for what he's done in our lives and in this space. And some of you have a habit of only being here once a month and you sit at home on your off weeks wondering why life feels so heavy, why you feel so lonely, why you can't shake the lows that you're experiencing. Part of the reason is because you're not making worship and the good things that worship brings into your life a priority. So you have to make being here and being together a part of your life. It takes precedent, it comes first. Here's the second application. 
Make worship a regular part of your day. This means instead of listening to that murder podcast on your way into work that makes you want to murder your coworkers, listen to worship. This means when you're in the car with the kids, instead of putting on Encanto, listen to worship. Right? You listen to worship while you're working or while you're exercising, while you're getting stuff done around the house. Collective, we have a playlist that we set up of all the songs we sing. But you can also create a playlist of all the songs that we don't sing that you're bitter about. And you can just listen to it at home, okay? I have a worship playlist that has songs that we would never play at Collective. I love these songs, but they would not reach non-Christian people. They would disconnect them. And so I have my multiple worship plays that I listen to. And so we need to build habits that we worship during the week and on Sunday mornings. And just like every other habit in this series, when you put this into practice in your life, you will see a positive impact. You will see a positive impact on your self-worth. You will see a positive impact on your joy and your peace. You will see a positive impact on how you handle stress how you handle the highs and lows of your life, you'll see a positive impact on how you see God. And when you make this a habit, you will see a positive impact on your spiritual, emotional, and mental health. So we worship when things are going well, right? We praise God because he is good. And when we worship when God is moving in our lives, but we also worship when we are in the storm, when we feel lost, when we don't know what else to do or say, And we do that because God is worthy. God is worthy of our praise because of his grace and endless second chances. God is worthy of our praise because he never leaves us or abandons us. Even in our lowest moments, he is there. Even in our doubts, he is there. Even when we try everything we can to push him away, he is there. And so we worship him. God is worthy of our praise because he breathes life into dead things. God is worthy of our praise because he's made a way for us to experience forgiveness and eternity in heaven, even though we don't deserve it. God is worthy of our praise because he redeems our brokenness. God is worthy of our praise because he gives us new life. He is worthy because he loves us unconditionally and because he is good and he is so good to us. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm cutting this one short. Uh, And we're gonna spend the rest of our time together today worshiping. And typically, we end service with one song, but the band is prepared two. And my challenge to you is to lean in, to break down those walls, to praise God for how good he is. It's to sing, it's to listen, it's to sit, it's to stand, whatever you are comfortable doing, but experience worship the way God intended it to be and praise him because he is worthy. And the highs and the lows, he is worthy. Pray with me. God, we are, um, we're thankful for music. And God, we're thankful for worship and and what you created to be and and how it really does speak to our souls. God, how it it heals us. Um, It gives us joy. It gives us hope. It gives us comfort. But God, even though we know that's true and, and, uh, you know, we we don't fight that, God, it is still tough for us to be vulnerable. God, it's still tough for us to to lean into worship uh, in a room full of people that we might not know. God, it's tough for us to be real and honest about how when we sing these words about you being with us in the storms, about, um, God, you being faithful to us, God, about you never abandoning us. There are times when we struggle to sing these words um, because we're not ready to let other people know what we're going through. So God, I I pray as a church, we begin to really wrestle with this. God, we begin to, to take um, 
some pretty scary steps forward when it comes to us trusting you and worshiping you uh, and really praising you. God, you have given us this beautiful gift, um, and God, we want to use it well. So God, we're thankful for that. God, we're thankful we have the opportunity to worship together. God, we, we know what it's like to not do that. Um, and we know the impact of that on our soul. And so God, we are thankful for this. Um, God, I pray this week that worship becomes a regular part of what we do, that we figure out how to build it into our lives. And God, ultimately, we see the impact that it has because it's good. God, we thank you. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.